From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 236. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN, Pingdom, and Lunar Display. I'm Mike Relay FM, and I'm joined by Jason Six Colors. Hi, Jason Six Colors. It's great to be here, Mike Podcasters. <laughs> We only we got this one chance. Uh, I think we're the first tech show in our little bubble to publish after Tim Apple, the Tim Apple situation. Uh, so even though it's old news, we get to do it. And for the sake of people listening far into the future, um, President Trump called Tim Cook Tim Apple during a. I think uh, you mean. I think you mean Donald America. Donald America. <laughs> <laughs> during a American Workforce Policy Advisory Board meeting, whatever the frick that means. Uh, called him Tim Apple. There's a video. I'll put it, a link to a Verge article. And just in the best possible thing that could have happened, could have come out of this, Tim Cook changed his Twitter name to Tim and the Apple logo. Uh, yep. I love so much that Tim Cook is trolling the president for like... I don't even really know what the gain is for that, but I like very much that he's doing it. I think it's hilarious. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, John Oliver did a bit on his show on Sunday night that was uh, suggesting there was a Photoshop of uh, of young Tim Apple um, taking the company over from his father who founded it, you know, Bob Apple or whatever. And it's just, oh, it's a family company. I don't know how, uh, you know. I, I think Donald Trump thinks of of company names as equivalent to family names, right? Because that's how his company works. Yes, but uh, Tim Apple, the Apples, long Tim, uh, Tim Apple, just giants the in the technology world. The Apple family. Yep. His sister Fiona uh, chose to go into music. A little weird, but you know, whatever. <laughs> and he is the son of the two Steve Apples, as we as we all know. <laughs> I don't even know how that works, but uh, how yes, it works. that's it. Aloha. Steve Apples, they they used to own a garage together. It's time we finish this and moved into hashtag snail talk. And we have a great question this week from Brent who asks, Jason, when you fly, do you prefer window or aisle, front, middle, or back of the plane, or any other preferences for the seat that you occupy? Um, I think this is a great question, mostly because I actually have opinions. Yep. <laughs> I was just making some plane reservations and I realized I... Uh, so first off, I always prefer... The window and the reason for that is i know that the aisle gives you access to the aisle and to the bathroom without having to make your seatmates get up and all of that the problem i have is my shoulders are wide enough that if i sit on the aisle big uh beverage carts will slam into my shoulders occasionally mm-hmm. i just it it that it happens either I that get on or the knee my knees are the problem there. oh interesting yeah mm. it's for me it's my shoulders and if um if not that then it's um I, then i'm repeatedly uh, sort of touched on the shoulder by a flight attendant to, and told to move inward in order to avoid slamming which is nice but it's not the best i just don't like it whereas uh, at the window i can just be at the window and there's a little space between me and the window and it's great um and uh, in terms of where, like in the plane, I um, it kind of doesn't matter. Uh, I will sit as far forward as I can and get a uh, window, but that's that's about it. Uh, these days, the way airplane seat reservations work, they start to charge you. If I, I just uh, bought some seats on a, I think United flight to my niece's uh, high school graduation in May, and um, 
I usually don't fly United, but um, but I, I did on this. And it was hilarious because not only is, do they have their economy, basic economy, where you can't pick a seat at all, but the regular economy fare uh, blocks out a bunch of seats that are in the front half of the plane. And they want you to pay a little bit extra for like a better seat, mm-hmm. which I thought it's not literally it's not any better except for the fact that it's closer to the front. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not interested in that. So I'm not going to support that kind of business model. So I I picked one further back. But uh, but yeah, I love love the window. Um, I think more on the right side of the plane, too. I was just uh, uh, when I was picking those seats, I realized that I was gravitating toward the right side of the plane. I don't know why. I don't have any reason for that. Mike, what do you where do you sit? So I have a few different considerations than you and a, a few different perks as well. I fly transatlantic the majority of the time. So I have status with British Airways. So I can always choose my seat whenever I want, right? That's one of the perks that I get. I don't have to pay for it and I don't have to wait. I can choose it whenever I want. And because I'm mostly flying transatlantic, I'm very typically in situations where people will be sleeping. So I always choose a seat, which means that if I am sleeping, somebody doesn't have to bother me. So I go for aisle seats in the middles if I'm in one of if I'm in like the two three two type thing. Because mm-hmm. then the other person can just move like the other right. way. I always try and make sure like I'm in the middle of the plane at an aisle so people don't need to climb over me or wake me up if they want to get out of their seat. Nice. And the same that if I want to get up, I don't have to move someone, right? So don't sit in the middle. It was sitting on an aisle. It's kind of the same reasons. Sure. There's a different considerations when you're flying 9, 10, 12 hours at a time, right? Like you're starting yep. to think about the sleeping and then how that affects things. So that's typically what I do. I don't really care for window seats because they trap me in. Yeah, I don't like the, I don't like being trapped, but I, I like getting uh, rammed with a big heavy cart. Yeah, US. yeah. That I have one on a knee on my last flight to San Jose. Mm-hmm. Woke me up. That was real bad. It was real bad. Yeah, I just had a flight not too long ago where I ended up for, I think because the flight was crowded, I ended up on the aisle and I was like, oh, well, the aisle, we'll do the aisle. The aisle's fine. First thing you know, getting slammed with a with a, with a a food cart or something. And I thought, oh, yeah, I can't. I just, it was a reminder, like, this is why I don't do this. I can't do this. So that's okay. I'll, uh, I'll wave to you from over at the window. Uh, so thank you so much to Brent for sending in that hashtag Snell Talk question. If you would like to submit a question for the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk, and it may be given in consideration uh, for a future episode. People had stuff to say about the TV license. Yeah, you know, we had we said a lot of controversial things, I thought, last week, and I was actually surprised we didn't get more angry emails. But we did get a few tweets about the TV license, mostly saying oh, something you I think you said, which is, oh, they do have this thing where you can you can, you know, basically say, I never want a TV license. I certify that I never watch live TV or use, you know, iPlayer or whatever of those things. Please just stop bugging me. Um and that you could do that and that they had done that and that they wouldn't be bothered too much. Except then somebody else po- posted like a bunch of pictures of all these like threatening yeah. uh, billboards. And yeah, there are a bunch of billboards. <laughs> this came from Colin. One is our database lists every home without a TV license, just so you know. Get one or get done, which was the... And that was in the tube. Yeah, you know. or our database is notified when a new TV is purchased. There's nowhere to hide. Now, I think some of these ads <laughs> are maybe a little older, but this is the point that I'm trying to get at. The way that they tone everything makes me feel like it's just going to be more hassle 
then it's worth. And I know people, I know friends who have tried to do this thing with a TV license and they keep getting letters from the TV licensing people. And I will say, Jason, because I was following up with people, the majority of people that told me all I had to do is not pay it were people that didn't even live in the United Kingdom. Like, I'm super happy yeah. that people know that this is a thing you can do, but trust me, try and do it, right? Like, yeah, it's, this way is to, my Way point. to correct the English guy yeah. about things that happen in England, people like, who don't live in England. This is, it is not as easy as you think to opt out of the TV license. Like, it really just isn't. Um, and even when it, you do, apparently they still do like bug you, and then they've also got the signs up that are yeah. vaguely threatening. And yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I I have to say I'm kind of relieved that uh, that not disappointed really, even though I kind of brought it on myself that uh, people weren't quite as uh, upset by some of our pronouncements. That's I fine. think at this point <laughs> we scared away most of the people ah. uh, who 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 can't get around to Iowa's way of thinking. Okay. You know. That's good. Maybe That's we'll good. Scare away I, I, just, some I figured there would be a real like uh, face ID or touch ID partisan would uh, would pop in, or there'd be somebody who'd be really angry about iOS apps on the Mac and all that. But you're mm-hmm. right. Perhaps we've uh, also, um, you know, people who think that you should never click the skip intro button on Netflix. We had all of those hot button issues, but uh, it was not that big a deal. So that's fine. We scared those people away. They can't take us anymore. No. Uh, I wanted to just give a little bit of follow-up uh, for tracking the uh, changes coming to the potential entry-level iPad line, so the regular iPads. Uh, Mac Otakara is reporting that the screen size of the next standard iPad is not yet finalized. They are saying that they've heard from some suppliers who are stating it will be 10.2 inches, and some are saying it will be 9.7. The way that I read this rumor, Jason, is not that it's not decided, it's that there will still be two of them. Uh, there will be a new version, and then there will be an old version, which is cheaper. That's what I think is going to happen. So you think they... they'll just keep the the sixth generation around, and then also release like a seventh generation? Yeah, or you know, or at least keep the sixth generation in education. And right, right, right. That they're still making the sixth generation, plus they're going to make a new seventh generation, yeah. and that's wh- what whoever. I think. Yeah, I think it would be, be super strange that like there are suppliers that think that there are orders coming, but they're still debating it. Like, everything we know about Apple is, like, they don't leave it. It's not like they're just still trying to work it out. This is a product that is apparently coming sooner rather than later. This iPad will also reportedly keep Touch ID and the headphone jack. So, basically, like the current ones that are in this generation, I don't think this is much of a surprise. I don't know if I'd necessarily spend too much time thinking about Touch ID versus Face ID, but I'm not surprised that Face ID wouldn't make its way into this line, right? You got to differentiate between the high end and the low end somehow, and that's a perfectly uh, reasonable way to do it. Yep. And uh, and as our friend Zach in the chat room uh, points out, uh, not finalized when it's supposed to be shipping is kind of just patently ridiculous. Which is why I think your theory, which is there must be they must actually be planning on continuing to manufacture um, the old size as well as the new size, is I, I think the only explanation if these reports are true because mm-hmm. there's no way that they're like making supply deals and then they're like mm, I don't know we'll we're just... not sure <laughs> like we want to check the prices like it seems super weird guys get more 10.2 screens in there now we just decided like that's not going to happen no all right so let's move into upstream where we talk about the happenings in streaming media we can say goodbye to the Disney Vault. Uh, CEO Bob Iger told shareholders that Disney Plus, at some point fairly soon after launch, will carry films that traditionally have been kept in a vault and brought out basically every few years. This is in a report from The Verge from a shareholder meeting. Jason, this is good news, right? Yeah, this is... Um, I always... 
Disney decided that they would create this artificial scarcity with their films, which as a parent, let me tell you, it's the worst. It's the worst. Now, what you do get is you get like grandparents or even potential grandparents buying. I knew somebody who literally bought every single Disney VHS release because they wanted to get everything while it was out of the vault mm-hmm. so that when their child had children, and this was a you know somebody in their 20s, basically, when the, their, their 20-something child had children, that they the grandma would be able to provide a video library of every Disney movie. Um, and there was a whole like buying strategy and like hoarding these movies. Of course, in that case, you know what happened, which is by the time the kid was ready to watch Disney movies, everybody moved on to DVDs. <laughs> and she had all these VHS tapes like, hmm, that's not not so good. But it's, it's infuriating because like when I was, uh, my daughter got really into Sleeping Beauty when she was little. And the Sleeping Beauty was not was in the vault, and um, I'll just say it. You know what I did? I I found a friend who had Sleeping Beauty on DVD, and I made a copy of it. I I ripped the DVD and made a copy of it because she, my daughter, wanted to watch Sleeping Beauty. It was not available for purchase anywhere, and it was infuriating. Now, like three years later, they came out with a Blu-ray, and I bought the Blu-ray. I'm not sure we ever watched the Blu-ray of it, but I bought it sort of because. I had copied buying. somebody's thing, but it's <laughs> but it's stu- but it's stupid. Like so, um, when they announced they were doing the service, this was immediately what I thought, which mm-hmm. was, well, this is the answer to the Disney Vault. Is instead of the Disney Vault as a strategy to get people to hoard uh, Disney movies um, and create this artificial demand for them by withholding them for no reason other than to withhold them um that instead it becomes the disney vault becomes a uh an inducement to subscribe to disney plus Mm -hmm. because all of the movies the only place that you can uh, stream those movies are on disney plus and i think that's really smart i i wonder um tangentially there are some other kind of treasure troves of movies that are not available on streaming that i wonder if somebody will back up a, a truck full of money to let's say uh studio ghibli where um, you know all of the Hayao Miyazaki movies are not available on streaming, oh, and me. I think that's because Miyazaki. Yeah, I know, right? That's because Miyazaki, uh, I think, is um, has just basically refused, which is really annoying to make them digitally available in any way. They can't even you can't even buy them digitally. You have to get the discs. But that would be another example where there's a little a treasure trove that maybe at some point somebody will spend and use as a motivator. But the Disney Vault, you know, they own it. They've got all those movies. They've been hoarding them all this time. And so I think it's a brilliant strategy because you're basically saying, hey, you're a parent. You love Disney movies. You want to show them to your kids. Pay for Disney Plus and you get all of them. Like, yeah, that, yep, that makes sense. That works. And we mentioned this before, but as well, like Captain Marvel, which is out now and smashing records left and right. um, That will be the first Disney Plus exclusive as well, which is super interesting. It's like if you want to get it digitally, in probably in 4K. I bet they'll still sell it on iTunes, but on the 1080, if you want it on 4K, that's where you want it. It's only going to stream on Disney+. Plus. I think that the, there is a question about the vault idea that it, it remains to be seen where Disney's movies um, end up in the long run. Like, will they be available? I assume they'll continue to be available on, like, Blu-ray and 4K and, and probably a la carte on other services yep. but it's possible that they will withhold some of those too mm-hmm. um 
in order to create a vault-like kind of thing where it's like, well, you can't get it anywhere else, that one right now, yeah. but you can get it on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, it's like I don't um, so think they may, any yeah. of the most recent um, Marvel movies are in 4K on to buy digitally, like not iTunes. You can just get them in 1080. Yeah, because I, I have some 4K Disney stuff, but I think it's 4K on other platforms and not on iTunes, and it syncs over as a 1080. Yeah, like Avengers Infinity War is just in HD. That's it. Yeah, it's that's not in, uh, it's not in 4K. It's not in HDR. Like you, they've done this for a while now. Like the yeah. kind of the Marvel, like the actual Marvel Marvel movies, right? Like there are Marvel related movies, right? Like the Spider Man movies, you can get in 4K right, HDR because that's released by Sony. Sony. Yeah, so that's if right. From Disney, right. they've just not been doing it. Which it's I, uh, yeah, so so it is very frustrating. So that is a question. Like, are there there are other vault like strategies that they can do mm-hmm. that are not quite the same? Um, and uh, that's interesting. I don't know if we've heard if Disney Plus is going to do 4K HDR. I would assume it does, although probably they'll do like Netflix and say you can pay more, yeah, and I get bet. the 4K HDR version and all of that as as part of it too. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how they how they do it. But this is a huge asset for them, so it's not surprising that they would deploy it because they want people to pay for this thing, and that's a great motivator. Like every Disney movie, including stuff that's been out of circulation. Maybe not every, because they've got some that they don't want anyone to see anymore because of the racism, but uh, mostly. So, yeah. Encyclopedia Netflixia. So, this is this is a great oh. title on, over on Six Colors. Because uh, of a quote from one of media's Robert Greenblatt, so the guy in charge. Netflix doesn't have a brand. It's just a place that you go to get anything. It's like Encyclopedia Britannica. That's a great business model when you're trying to reach as many people on the planet as you can. Now, a lot of articles that I've seen about this quote from Greenblatt uh, frame this as him throwing shade at Netflix and being like, oh, Netflix is just a place where you go to get anything. They don't do anything specific. They're just a bunch of stuff. But you wrote something on Six Colors, which was seemed a little bit more in defense of this quote. Yeah, I think a lot of people love to point and laugh at clueless uh, executives who don't understand about uh, technology and all of that. And I think I think they totally misread what uh, Greenblatt was saying here, which is uh, something that we've talked about before. On I've written about it before, and it's the idea. So Greenblatt's the new guy in charge, which is why the as we said last week, the HBO guy left, and and you know they're they're making a bunch of changes as AT and T takes over Warner Media. Um, but his point here, it's actually related to what we've talked about about Apple and about Apple strategy and and the reputation it's gotten in certain certain circles. That New York Post article we talked about last week is directly applicable, which is people who are kind of bent out of shape because Apple, who is spending you know billions of dollars on this content, is trying to set some standards for what they want for their content, right? Like the "don't be so mean" thing is the idea of like what what when we look at Apple's video stuff stuff what is that what's the personality of that it needs to have a personality it ideally any of these services need to have a personality they need to say like here's the kind of vibe you're going to get from this it's family friendly like D- disney for example is not going to do uh, almost certainly marvel stuff on disney plus that is uh with the content of the netflix shows right mm-hmm. which was basically rated r level i don't think disney plus is going to have any rated r level content on it right because it's the disney brand that stuff will go on hulu it won't go on disney plus i think almost certainly so what's the what's apple's uh personality 
Um, and they, they seem to be, you know, don't be so mean, a little more positive. Uh, wanna, we, we had that story about like, want, want to be able to show it on Apple stores. So, so, you know, network TV level, maybe in terms of, uh, standards and practices and maybe a little more positive, not, not, uh, they, that report about like not liking, uh, dark, uh, techno criticism, like, you know, black mirror stuff. Um, and that's their prerogative. They, they have the money. Um, I think there's marketing value in it too, because you, you need your product to mean something like, what do I get when I sign up for Apple? You get these kinds of shows. It's helpful. Like HBO has a, uh, has a perspective. It, it is not necessarily as simple as it's for families, but, uh, but HBO has a, you know, there's a, a feel for like what an HBO show is. And I think the more feel that you have, the more clear your brand is, the better. And Warner Media and its streaming service is an empty box without a label on it, right? It Like, what is that? It's a corporation. It's like Warner Brothers. We've heard about that and Looney Tunes. And, you know, the people have some associations with Warner Brothers and Warner in general from the old days. But like, what is the Warner Media streaming service? What what does it mean? And I think that's what Greenblatt's saying here is, um, first off, he's like, don't talk about us compared to Netflix because Netflix is everywhere. Like, does the air have a brand? Like, you know, what he's really saying here is, like the Encyclopedia Britannica, Netflix buys all kinds of content. And I, other than maybe Amazon, I don't think there's anybody out there who is currently at a point where they could be that. They can say our streaming service is for everybody and we spend $15 billion a year. Maybe they'll dream of ending up there. But right now, like that's what Netflix does. They are making things around the world. They're making things for kids. They're making things that are super hard edge and only for adults. They Netflix is releasing, you know, multiple things every week. So when I look at what Greenblack sa- says here, I'm thinking what he's saying is, you know, Netflix doesn't have, when he says it doesn't have a brand, he doesn't mean nobody knows who Netflix is. He's saying Netflix doesn't stand for a narrow focused thing that's trying to target an audience. Netflix is for everyone. That's been their strategy. And that's why they're so dominant. Netflix is this enormous cultural force. And I think he's also saying, please don't compare us to Netflix because we don't have that budget. We're not going to spend that money. Instead, we're going to try to create our own brand that is going to reach a certain audience that we're targeting with with content that we think, you know, they will like that will resonate with them. And that's what we're doing. And and I think that's what he's saying here. I think he's very specifically saying, we are going to come up with a personality and we're going to try to reach these people. And uh, we can't be Netflix. And it allows when they launch this thing and people are like, well, let's compare them to Netflix. He's already sown the seeds here of no, 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 you can't compare us to Netflix because they're like the encyclopedia. They are A to Z everything. And we aren't that. We're not trying to be that. And the fact is nobody other than, like I said, maybe Amazon with Prime Video, um, nobody's in a position to even pretend to try to do what Netflix is doing. And finally today, uh, Mac Rumors is reporting that Apple and Roku are currently finalizing negotiations to add AirPlay to support to their devices via way of a software update. There it is. There it is. We were talking about this when they made those first CES announcements, right? Mm-hmm. Like, got to be that other shoe to drop. Looks like it's going to happen, according to these reports. AirPlay 2 in Roku TVs, like like mine, and also in uh, Roku streaming boxes. And what this does is it gets AirPlay, which means it gets Apple's TV service and all of Apple's video content onto any TV for what 
20 bucks, 30 bucks for the, the lowest end of the Roku boxes, assuming that they are going to be covered by this, which we'll have to see. I bought my mom a Roku, a uh, little Roku streaming. I would call it a stick, but it's actually more like a, it looks like one of those little infrared uh, receivers, <laughs> except it's a whole Roku mm-hmm. thing for 30, for 30 bucks, $29 at Walmart <laughs> when I was visiting her. And, you know, it's basically invisible. And like that is the, that is the thing that Apple needs to have in the market so that they have access to all these TVs for relatively cheap for people to watch their streaming service. And I think the beauty of this is it shows they're more concerned about services revenue than hardware revenue. And it actually frees them to not make a cheap-ish Apple TV if they don't want to, because they don't need to. Like Apple TV has all of these other features. And if all you want to do is beam your Apple TV shows from your iPhone to your TV, you can just buy a Roku thing for 30 bucks and it'll be fine. And as I've said a million times, but this just for me is like, if it's coming on Roku, it's going to be on the Fire TV stick too. Probably. I mean, Apple and Amazon have had, seem to have resolved many of their differences. Mm-hmm. And they're they're tech giants and they go back and forth about it, whereas Roku is all, is, is not a, a tech giant and therefore is uh, Roku really would love to support whatever Apple is doing, I'm pretty sure, right? It increases the value mm-hmm. of their product. But I would be shocked. Uh, yeah. I would be I would be surprised anyway if if um Apple and Amazon didn't ultimately make a similar deal. Yeah, it's valuable to Roku because they have the possibility of creating the cheapest AirPlay two box that you can get, right? Like that's yep. the that's their selling point there, right? And like then you're in Roku's yep. ecosystem yep. on the TV when yep. you're there, which is and, valuable for them. And that that is, and that put, gives them a leg up on on Amazon, which is why I think Amazon. Uh, for similar reasons, like will want to be able to say that they integrate Apple's stuff. Yeah, because you, if you're Amazon, you don't want Apple to king make Roku, right? Right. And Air, AirPlay Two um, seems like the best way forward because then it gets a, a, away from all of those like uh, problems that are a problem on the Apple TV for Amazon, which is like purchases on device and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If you just do the AirPlay Two stuff, like you don't have to worry about. Any e-commerce, any logins, any any stuff like that, yep. which is the point of contention between Apple and Amazon, is like the the cut that Apple wants to take of every purchase on their devices. And AirPlay two as the way to as the method here is beneficial to Apple's core business because it means you have to have an iOS device. You can't just sign up right like for Apple TV and use it with another device. Use it just on whatever stick. You have to be able to beam it from something, which is what they ultimately want everybody to have, which is an iPhone, right? So that's the other benefit. Will this sell iPhones? Probably not. But does it fit with Apple's core business? Yeah, it does. So I would be surprised. I mean, we're expecting an Apple event here in a couple of weeks, uh, depending on how the news goes over the next few days. Maybe next week is a draft, which will be one of the weirdest, most wonderful drafts of all time. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited for that. So, you know, maybe Roku finds its way into the draft. So, because I can imagine a slide where Apple says, hey, it's just all these sticks we're working with. So we'll all see. these partners. Mm-hmm. All the great partners. There's got there's got to be that, right? That Well, we'll, we'll draft it, but there's got to be a slide that says this is where this is available, where this mm-hmm. is going to be available. And it's going to be all the Apple devices and all our partners. Yep. So we'll see. All right. Today's episode is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. 
cybercrime is something that we think happens to other people. I, I know that's how I think. Like, why would people want my data? Well, the bad news is stealing data from people like me and you using public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest ways for hackers to make money. If you leave your internet connection unencrypted, your passwords and credit card numbers could be vulnerable. But there's something that you can do to protect yourself from cybercriminals, and that is using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing, encrypting your data, and hiding your public IP address with easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your device. I use ExpressVPN on my iPhone, my iPad, and my MacBook when I travel. I'm going to be traveling here next week, so I'm going to be making sure that I have ExpressVPN protection enabled just a click and you're and i'm free and you'll be free to safely surf on public wi-fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen expressvpn is rated the number one vpn service by TechRadar, and it even comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee for less than seven dollars a month you can get the same expressvpn protection that i have if you ever use public wi-fi and want to keep the bad guys away from your data you need expressvpn so go to expressvpn.com upgrade to learn more and protect your online activity today find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com upgrade that is exp RESSVPN.com slash upgrade for three months free with a one year package. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, we're going to do some uh, kind of extended follow out and uh, build upon a topic from ATP last week. Uh, the episode was titled The MacBook Hierarchy of Needs. Um, and John Syracuse presented an interesting kind of thought process of looking at the potential next entry in the MacBook Pro line and ranking via like a list of priorities like the uh, Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? Yep. Um, about kind of what are the most important features and what are the ones that you must have for the laptop for that product to be a viable product for you. So uh, you wrote about this on Six Colors and I kind of liked your take on it. And I want to kind of do this in two different ways because... We both use laptops, but not to the level that the ATP guys use their laptops. So I think our maybe our needs will be slightly different. We'll see. But I also wanted to pivot this a little bit into what it would take, what our hierarchy of needs are for an iOS laptop, which is the, the famous iBook created by Jason Snell. Um, and so I figured that we could maybe kind of split it in two, maybe to see if there's any differences between those hmm. two things. So I was kind of broke this down into a few different lists, right? So for for a MacBook Pro, considering you know what what people want from it, so and also looking at the upcoming rumors, I think the things that we kind of have to pick from are like an increased screen size, and if that's important to you, uh, ports, keyboard reliability. Uh, power. So I also wondered, like Intel and ARM, is that like a thing that you can, that you care about at this stage? Uh, is a new design important to you as a as a reason to buy a laptop? Battery life, cellular, and maybe MagSafe. So those are the kinds of things that I was thinking about as well. Looking at what you wrote on Six Colors. So for you, when it comes to a MacBook or MacBook Pro, where does the kind of the line start to get drawn? Well, I think the the thing that I found valuable in having this sort of thought experiment is um, the idea that there are the things that you can't change that are fundamental to the product and that they have to be at the top of the hierarchy, right? It's a little bit like saying you need to, you know, you need to have food and clothing and shelter. You know, you need to be safe and secure um, mm-hmm. first, 
in the hierarchy yeah, like of needs these things are the foundations else. right that everything right. else needs to be built on and it speaks to the um issues that people have had with apple's laptops the last few years because i think the keyboard is a great example like only one company makes mac laptops obviously it's apple so if you want to use Mac OS, you need to buy their hardware. And at this point, other than the very, very, very old 999 MacBook Air, they all use essentially the same keyboard, which is the keyboard that they introduced into the MacBook in 2015, and it has now spread across the entire line. And it's, it's been modified a few times. And some people have some problems with it. And I wrote a piece like two years ago about how part of the problem that Apple is having in terms of blowback from MacBook Pro users and MacBook users in general is the fact that they have, they're have they cornered. They have nowhere to run. They're, there's no alternative uh, unless they leave the platform entirely, right? The, Apple doesn't... If Apple made like a Pro laptop and a consumer laptop and the Pro laptop had a different keyboard, and that's what everybody was hoping, right? Everybody was hoping after the Magic Keyboard 2 came out that... Um, that the new MacBook Pros would use that keyboard and not the MacBook keyboard because the MacBook keyboard had been optimized for thinness and on a MacBook Pro, you could presumably afford a little more travel. And that didn't happen. And as a result, there's no choice. You can't say, well, if you want the different keyboard, get our other model. It's like literally this is the only keyboard you can mm-hmm. buy. And that's why I keep thinking like for things that are fundamental, you need to you need to make care, careful decisions. Like an SD card slot is not fundamental. Like it's a nice to have. But in the end, you can buy a little dongly thing that will give you an SD card slot, right? But you can't pull the keyboard out and put in a new keyboard. You can't pull the screen off and put in a new screen. And, And you can't, like, drill a hole and add a couple of ports, right? So there are parts that are integral to the laptop. And that's where you have to start. So in my mind, that's where it has to start. And something like the keyboard, Apple needs to make decisions about that keyboard i think that make it more broadly appealing because nobody's going to have an alternative nobody's going to have a a choice of something different if they're going to truly design one keyboard for every laptop they make it needs to be um appealing to everyone or at least inoffensive to everyone which i think the old keyboard was and the new keyboard there are it definitely has its adherence but i think that the the challenge there is that you're making uh, if you make a keyboard and a certain percentage, let's say a quarter of your user base hates it, they have no recourse. Like they have nowhere to go. And that's not good. I think that's not good if you're Apple and you're the single supplier and you're basically saying everybody who likes our operating system has to like this keyboard because this is all you're ever going to get. I think that that's not great. So so for me, it, it all starts with the keyboard. I thought the ATP guys brought out a great point, which is for the pro laptops, um, getting to one-to-one on, so it's not a scaled display. Because right now the default view is scaled. And so it's not as clear. It's not ideal. Like on a pro laptop, having that display be, uh, a, you know, unscaled default, I think is a good one to put on the list because you can't do it later, right? You can't fix it later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of the other stuff, I mean, I have to ask myself this question as I was listening to them and as I was writing my my thing, which is, I wonder if part of why I found traveling with an iPad and working on an iPad so attractive is that an iPad is basically a screen without a keyboard, and it lets me supply whatever keyboard pleases me. Huh. And and there's some truth in that, right? Because I like the bridge keyboard and the bridge keyboard, and I I even like the the um, smart keyboard folio. 
although not as much as I like the bridge. I've been using that a lot because the bridge keyboard for the new iPads isn't out. And, you know, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm really missing my bridge keyboard. I'm at this dying point. for the keyboard. Yeah, right, right. But that that's a difference with the iPad is that you can supply your own keyboard. And MacBook and MacBook Pro users can't do that. So I, I wonder about that, too. So for me, that's where it all goes. I think MagSafe is one that's interesting to throw in there because while there are magnetic adapters that you can plug into a USB-C port, it's it's kind of hacky and, you know, or kludgy. Ideally, you know, I would love to see Apple say, you know what, a magnetic connector, this is a, essentially a USB-C connector, but we've we've invented this new connection type, which is magnetic, so it's a breakaway or something. I would kind of love that, but, um, you know, that that is a good example of something that is probably ideally integrated into the hardware and not something that you can just use a, a an escape valve of a dongle. So for me whilst I appreciate the importance of a reliable keyboard, I'll ask you by the way, keyboard, reliability or feel or both? Like what is what are you basing? Do do you have to have a good keyboard or do you have to have a reliable keyboard? What's the limit? I think the core issue here is reliability, right? Because the people cannot like the keyboard. I think you can get used to it. Everybody can get used to everything. I would I would like them to make some different priority decisions on the on the actual feel of the keyboard. It does feel like they something design they something they designed for the MacBook, and then they basically forced everybody else who didn't need those constraints to also adopt it. But I also understand that like, you know, not everybody's a fragile flower like me who looks at that keyboard and is like, mm, I don't like it. Uh, I can use it, but I don't like it. I would I would like to think that Apple wants a keyboard that appeals to more people rather than. Be, is used begrudgingly but i feel like the core problem they've got and that they've m- tried to address multiple times now is the fact that it's getting a reputation for being unreliable that like people have stories and they tell other people about that time that their spacebar stopped working and they were told to you know get a can of compressed air or mm-hmm. take it into the apple store and that's not good like i think that that is the the thing that will threaten their sales figures the most is getting a reputation for unreliability. So I will buck the trend. Uh, the keyboard is not the most important part to me, personally, for a MacBook Pro. We're going to talk about this later on, but I use my MacBook Pro five times a year, probably, right? It's it's when I'm recording away from home. Uh, that's when I use a, a, a MacBook. And for me, the biggest thing that I would want to see to make me want to buy a new one would be the reintroduction of a USB, a regular USB port, because that's the thing that is most important to me. I don't use the keyboard, right? Like I just, I'm not sitting and typing on it. Like it's really, it is just a machine to allow me to get to all of the software that I need to edit and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, I have some sticky keys. I have Marco's original MacBook Pro, the one where he uh-huh. first had a problem. I think it's got like a the E key will get stuck. I have that. I bought it from him. So like this keyboard came to me with already having an issue. It's not something that is that important to me uh, because I'm really just using it as a like an audio production machine and using dongles. And like I I use this like hyperdrive dongle, which only has one USB-C port because when I bought it, I think I bought it for a different machine than the one that I have. But anyway, and so it's not it doesn't sit exactly how I would like gets a little bit wobbly, and I don't like that. I would just like to be able to plug my audio interface 
in with USB and just leave it at that. That's what I would like mm-hmm. to be able to do. Uh, but I don't have an option to do that right now. You could just get a USB-C to USB-A cable, right? Or is it the number of ports that's the issue? I have. I could get one of those cables and that would be great. But also I just think just a number of ports is an issue. Like it, it really restricts me because um, I also need the SD card, right? So I'm still going to need a dongle for that because if I'm recording without the laptop, which happens too when I'm traveling, I then need something for the SD card too. So like the removal of all of the ports that came away, whilst there are some fixes, they're all fixes and I don't really care for them. Like what I want is the ports back. Do I think I'll get it? No, but that's why I'm not assuming I'm going to buy a new MacBook Pro, right? But that's where the line is drawn for me uh, personally is to see some some of the more frequently used ports come back to the line that's what i would like but i'm an outlier because i don't use a mac laptop the way that most people use mac laptops i mean the touch bar issue is is you know here too right because you get the more ports on the touch bar models Mm -hmm. but people you know are some people are reluctant to go with the touch bar models so that's that's a question going forward i don't want that i don't want the cost of that for what i'm doing Right, like right. you know, it's it's too much, and I don't need a touch bar because, again, I wouldn't be able to effectively use the touch bar because I wouldn't. I'm not used to it. My my right. iMac doesn't have a touch bar, and so I'm right. not going to get in a touch bar based workflow on a laptop that I use so infrequently. You know, I tried yep. using a MacBook for a while, like I used the MacBook for a while for this. And it just it just can't deal with with the Pro apps very well. Like it was a point where using the pro apps like final cut or logic p- plugged in the battery would be draining so that was why i moved back to a macbook pro poor little macbook and that was perfect for me like the size and thickness and the weight and stuff that's what i want but it just can't handle what i need from those machines when i'm traveling so which is a shame so you know i think that based upon what you want is typical to what most people want. And I'm a bit of an outlier when it comes to the MacBook. So why don't we just go into complete outlier territory? An iOS laptop. Now, what diff- What could change here? What is important to you in this mythical product? Where does the line get drawn? I'm assuming this line would be a little bit higher. There would need to be more things that it would need if we look at where iOS-based products are today to make this a compelling product. Do you agree with that? I think, oh, I mean, I'm struggling with the thought of, given what Apple has said about uh, the future of iOS and macOS, I I am now finding it hard to believe that this product will ever exist, that mm-hmm. instead it's going to be a more Mac, iOS-like Mac laptop. Um, but, you know, I, I think there are open questions there about just how iOS-like they're going to make the Mac and the big questions are things like touch support um would they consider making a convertible where you know you could flip it around and make it more tablet you know tablet mode and then have it be more in the laptop mode um or would they just ever consider making a more um you know hardened uh keyboard option for the ipad pro themselves rather than just these covers something that's more like what microsoft offers where they've got some other keyboard options um i don't know i don't know 
So, so that's for me that that's where I kind of run aground on the iOS laptop idea is that I'm, I, I'm feeling like Apple has just basically said if you want if you like iOS and you want a laptop, um, travel forward in time a couple of years and look at and buy a Mac laptop because it'll have, run all your iOS apps and also do the things that a Mac can do, mm-hmm. and that's great. I think the truth is that my f- my favorite thing about traveling with an iPad fundamentally is that I can use it without the keyboard when I want to because a lot of what I do with the iPad I don't need a keyboard and then I attach a keyboard when I need it yep. and when you travel with a Mac laptop the keyboard's always attached yep. and I, I'm not sure that is going to change in in the future that I, I'm not sure Apple is ever going to let you know make a product that basically feels like an iPad but is actually a laptop but I think that that's that's part of it, right? So, like for you, any product that Apple were to possibly make or make available for others to make in the future would need to include this like convertibility factor. So, like imagine if so for me, like where I would want to draw the line at making uh, my iPad more like a laptop is trackpad support, right? Like that's the most important part of it for me, right? Like. If we want to, if we want to continue pushing sure. iOS to be more like a laptop, I would like to be able to use a trackpad and could embed that into a keyboard. So, like that's super important. Although I am kind of coming around to your idea that, like, if there was ever the ability for iPads to support these things, that we wouldn't want some company to come along and be like, "All right, you've got to keep it in this case now all the time." Like the ability to be able to separate it is still really important, and I think yeah. that drawing the line with those two things, I think, really helps push iOS to be more like a laptop without making it just an iBook that runs iOS. No, I think this is actually a good point that um, that I hadn't really thought of before, but I'll put it out there now, which is if my choice was you can get an iPad that acts like a laptop if you snap it into a case that makes it into a laptop. Or you can just use a Mac laptop. At that point, I just use a Mac laptop. Like, yeah. I, 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 I deal with the limitations of iOS because I'm less enthusiastic than, than somebody like Federico about uh, how... Because Federico is very much a I prefer iOS kind of guy. Well, me and too. I am a, right? I like iOS. Sure. And I like iOS and I like the Mac. I prefer what the iOS devices shapes get me. Mm-hmm. And if I have to, this is why I don't like, and I haven't liked any of the case, like Logitech made a case for the iPad where you, you know, basically snap it into this thing and it becomes a MacBook Air. And then you have to kind of snap it back out every time you want to use it as a tablet. And like, if I wanted my iPad to permanently turn into a laptop, I'd just use a real laptop at that point. Like, I'd rather just use a MacBook Air or a MacBook Pro. Because the, the reason I like the iPad is because a lot of my uses are without the keyboard and I can ditch it and I have a very light little tablet to hold. Yeah. So for, for me... Uh, you know, beyond a certain threshold, like I'm not interested anymore. So a convertible something, um, you know, I would be great. Like I just, I really love the fact that I can use a keyboard on my iPad when I need to and only when I need to, because that makes it a much better device because I only use the keyboard. I only have to use the keyboard some percentage of the time. And it's not a huge percentage. Yeah. 5%, 10%. I don't know. Yeah. I agree with you there. Cause it's like, the smart keyboard I can keep I keep it on because it's fine. There's the folio, I can just flip it around, it's fine. But when I get back into the bridge lifestyle, um, which hopefully will be sometime in the next few months, 
when I'm I I would and did take my iPad out of the bridge keyboard quite a lot because that's too much at that point, like a fixed thing which I can't really do anything with that adds weight and thickness. It's like, no, I don't I don't want this on all the time. And the ability to just be able to take it out and put it back on again was really good. It's one of my favorite things about that. But that is, I think, super important when thinking about iOS as a laptop. It's like, or iPads as a laptop, is not losing inherently what makes an iPad an iPad. Like saying like, oh, well, you know, it's like an iPad, but we've just fixed it into this screen now, like into this case, and that's just how it is. That's not so fun. Like that's it. It loses something, and being able to like still pop it out and do what you need to do, and then pop it back in, and it's back to being more of a traditional laptop form factor is a little bit more kind of enticing than the idea of just completely changing what that form factor is all about. So there you go. The iPad, iOS, laptop hierarchy of needs. We'll go with that. Thanks, sure. thanks, John. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Luna Display, the makers of the hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. This means you have a second display that's super portable with basically zero lag and stunning image quality. So talking about iOS and the Mac and coming together and moving apart, I was having some fun over the weekend working on a little project in Pixelmator. And I use Pixelmator on iOS a bunch. Um, But there were some tools and also some font-based stuff that just wasn't working for me on iOS because basically if the font you're trying to use is not already pre-installed on iOS, it can get real weird even if you try and install it with one of the apps that install stuff. So what did I do? I opened Luna Display, which is I have my Luna Display plugged into my Mac Mini. Then I could use Luna Display from the Mac on my iPad using the Apple Pencil, and it works flawlessly. It's super smooth. It looks fantastic. I can zoom in, zoom out, and I feel like I'm in complete control. I'm not feeling like I'm in this like weird hybrid mode. It's using the Apple Pencil and the keyboard and my, my fingers. It basically is making my iPad a touch screen like mac basically it's wonderful it's like a complete extension to my mac this is what luna call the luna display and i completely agree and i was able to get what i needed done by using pixelmator on my mac instead of on the on ios i love luna display because it's enabling me to be able to do these things without then needing to go and turn on a mac and, and all that kind of stuff and i could just be wherever i am and it's not breaking my workflow but this isn't all that luna displays for it can very simply be used as just an external display which is wonderful so maybe when you're traveling even if you don't have a wi-fi connection available you can just plug in luna display and then you can plug in your iPad and your Mac over USB, and then right there you have extra screen real estate at your disposal. Um, the all-new Liquid Video Engine added to Luna Display brings significantly reduced latency and an even faster screen refresh rate. Listeners of this show can get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code UPGRADE at checkout. That is lunadisplay.com and the promo code UPGRADE at checkout to get your 10% off. Go there right now and upgrade your setup. You're going to love it. Trust me on this one. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about podcasting on iOS. Is oh, is this an intervention, Mike? Are you intervening against me? No, no, I'm not. But I do mm. want to kind of state okay. state my case on this uh, whole, right. whole little thing because you wrote an article a few weeks ago on Six Colors about um, your current setup 
for podcasting with an iPad Pro, which got Federico pretty excited. Um, and Federico Vitici has now kind of bought some of this hardware so he could replicate it himself for, for various reasons. Uh, Federico mostly because he spends uh, some time in the summer at a different location to his home right and would prefer not to have to take his mac with him so he's been doing some uh he's been doing some experiments as well which has brought him kind of to the uh to, to the similar place that you have and use because basically he's using what you didn't tell him to do but he yes. took it as you were telling him to do in mm-hmm. in the post so i want to get to this uh, a little bit but before uh, we get to kind of my feelings on this. I want to talk about your approach. So kind of a couple of things. Why do you do this? Under what circumstances do you do this? And what are you using right now to make uh, podcasting on iOS work for you? So here, the goal is, the goal is, okay, I'm going to see my mom and then I'm going to LA. I'm on this trip for about a week. And I've got to do podcasts while I'm gone. I've got like three podcasts at least that I have to do. And I'm thinking can I do this with just my iPad? Cause normally I would just travel with my iPad, but there's this question like, can I do this with just my iPad or do I need to bring my MacBook air, which I was kind of resolved to just bring my MacBook air along and literally only use it to record podcasts because I'm, I'm going to bring my iPad along and I'm going to use it because that's my primary thing. I, and I would even write on it because it's got the nice screen and I've got a keyboard and it's fine. Um, but I thought I, I might need to bring my old MacBook air with me just for the podcast stuff because it's got audio hijack and it's got, you know, call recorder and all of those things on it. And then I thought, okay, can I figure out a way to do this without that? Because that would be, uh, I wouldn't need to bring the the laptop. It it is shaped like a laptop. It's got to fit in a bag. I got to take it out at security. I got to do all these things. Um, and my question was like, is there something I can do that will not require me to bring all sorts of, you know, extra hardware, at which point I should just bring the laptop. Um, and I managed to get it to work. And and what I did was add one box. I brought my USB interface that I use to record, um, which weighs, you know, less than a pound. And that's it. Like, I brought one extra box. And is inherently easier to pack than a laptop is. Yes, yeah, because it's a, it's a, it's not quite a cube, but it is a little rectangular thingy. It's, it's easy to pack, throw it in a, in a bag or carry on or whatever, and it's powered by a USB plug, so I don't have to bring like my MacBook Air is an older one, so I have to bring its MagSafe power adapter because that's how it, only way it charges. Um, I'll also throw out there that my, my, uh, my daughter travels with a laptop. And my, uh, my, but my mom doesn't have a laptop anymore. She just has an iPad. So I don't even have that like emergency safety net that I sometimes do when I travel where it's like, well, at least there's a Mac around if I need it. Like, nope, there's not going to be a Mac around when I'm in the desert. There's no Macs. Um, so the desert of Macs, just cactuses. No, no, no Macs in the desert. Yes. Right. Um, that's true. Good point. Good point. So, um, what I figured out is that I could add one box and I could do this. Cause the goal here is I want to be able to, when I'm doing a podcast, I want to be able to speak into a microphone and hear my own voice returned to my ears, because that's very important in terms of, did I get the volume right? Am I popping my peas? All of those sorts of things. And I want to hear you, right? Or whoever is on the other end of the podcast. I need to hear both because I need to hear what you're saying. Otherwise, this is just a, a, a one. I mean, it's a very bad podcast if we can't hear each other. And also, so. I want to hear you 
through your podcasting microphone. So that's that's another piece of it, right? So so um, I want to hear both. I want to send you the my high quality microphone and not some sort of like laptop microphone or iPad microphone or earbud microphone. I want you to get the one I'm talking into because that's going to make me sound the clearest. And then number three is I need to be able to record my voice. Um, and that's important because then I need to send you the file or whoever, you know, I need to have a file of my voice at full quality. And so what I ended up doing was using the Zoom uh, voice recorder, plugging my microphone into that. And I realized that it's got, uh, it's got an, you know, an out port, a line out plug that I could plug into my USB interface. Um, and then I could plug that into my iPad and the iPad Pro with USB-C, it works fine. And at that point, you're hearing my my voice come through via USB as if it, it was plugged into my microphone. It's just that it's not. It's plugged into my voice recorder that's plugged into my microphone. And by adding that additional layer, because unfortunately, um, the Zoom won't run as an audio interface and record onto a uh, an SD card. So if it could do both, I would only need it, but it can't do both. So, yeah. um, and, and my goal here was not to buy new hardware. <laughs> I was just using existing hardware and cables that I already owned. Cause I was trying to say my, my goal for myself was can, without buying anything, can I make this work? And I could with existing hardware. As far as I know, there is nothing that you even can buy. So there are products by sound devices, the company that makes the USB pre two that you're using, um, called the Mix Pre series, and they record simultaneously onto uh, SD card whilst also outputting over USB, but they do not work with iOS. Yeah, I have heard mixed responses. Some people have gotten them to work with iOS. Some people have not. I, you know, that's not great, right? Yeah. Like mixed and responses. Stephen contacted Sound Devices Support, and they sound and they said they have absolutely no plans to support this officially. So. Yeah. If it does work, I wouldn't rely on it because it could break um, at yeah. any point. Who knows? But so, I mean, and it is worth noting because it does, when you look at the image, it looks like you have a lot of stuff on your desk. But honestly, it's one more box than one more what box. you're currently yeah. using. So, exactly. you know, like for, 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 this, for the typical setup, it's not, it's not that much. Now, so this is kind of, kind of how it works. The problem is when you get into, or the, the trouble points is two, twofold. One, no software backup, right, of audio recording, and two, sure. the file transfers. So the software backup thing, there's kind of nothing you can do about that. That's an iOS thing. We'll get to that in a minute. But the file transfers, what are you doing for that? Because you end up with files on an SD card, right? Yeah, and it's the same thing. I've talked about it before. Um, mm -hmm. Kingston makes a little box that's a little Wi-Fi thing with an SD card slot and a USB plug on it, and basically they have an app that runs on iOS, and if you attach a hard drive or plug in an SD card to that little box, it, it's a Wi-Fi box. So you connect to it via Wi-Fi. It's its own little base station. You open their app and it shows you all the files of the whatever device is attached, including the SD card. And then you just copy them over, um, which is, it's silly, <laughs> but that is the most effective way I've found to transfer things off of an SD card that aren't videos or photos which mm -hmm. will be transferred natively but other file formats aren't seen by any if you attach an sd card directly via an adapter to uh to an ipad pro mm -hmm. so instead you use this third-party app and it transfers the files over fairly fast and uh, then i get about editing in ferrite which i did i did an episode of download where you know i collected all the files and in and i had to i was going to the airport so i had to do it in about half an hour and i i did it it was fine 
And uh, Federico, he bought a Western digital thing called the My Passport Wireless Pro, mm-hmm. and it does the same thing. And yeah. But he can use it with an app that he uses called, uh, I think, File Explorer. So it actually shows up in files for him over a network, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so he's been... So Federico's been playing around with this too. Um, he even surprised me on an episode of Remaster <laughs> by, by using all this gear. Surprise! And amongst our friends, I am... I am considered to be a curmudgeon on this point, but I have I have feelings about it, which is why I think that this is not a good option if it is what you are considering to be the only way you're going to record. So to try and break that down a little bit, I think that this option is risky because you can only get one recording output right you are just recording to the sd card and when we're on our macs again whilst it's only software i'm always recording in two places because things can die so having two recordings going at the same time whilst both in software is great and there is no way to do this on ios right now because of the way the audio is handled on ios so my feeling that because of the i think there is an additional level of complexity that comes with this really you were able to work this out because you really understand how this goes, right? Like, and it took you some time as well to get it kind of to the to the place. This is not the first iteration of this setup that you've had. Sure, but it's the first one that actually replicated my experience as a podcaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a which was a nice a nice point. I mean, like, it took you even some time as somebody who does understand this stuff to kind of get to the point where you were like, okay, I found yeah. the setup, right? Yeah, and with all of these things, you know, whenever you say only an iPad, what it, what it really means is only an iPad and all the boxes that you need to attach in order yeah. to make this work, right? Yeah. There's no only here. The ideal would be that I would be able to take my microphone and either through an interface or if it's a USB microphone directly plug it into my my iPad Pro and do a podcast and have all of the recording things happen mm-hmm. on the iPad like they do on a Mac. And that's not possible. No. And that that is what makes me kind of like uncomfortable. Like all traveling setups include risks, right? Because like when I travel with a MacBook Pro and a Zoom recorder, things can go wrong because I don't use it enough. I'm using dongles, right? Like, But I can still use multiple apps and I'm still like pretty convinced that what you are hearing from me is going all through the software. So like what you are hearing, as long as I've set things up correctly, which I do know how to do, right? In software, like you're going to hear me correctly. So I just feel like if you're traveling or there are extenuating circumstances that prevent you from using a regular setup, this is fine because all traveling setups come with potential pitfalls but i think as your only setup this is not how you should be recording podcasts like you're adding too many potential risk points in um and i it's just not at the moment set up to be a permanent solution like the mac is the best place for this stuff right now in my opinion but if you have to use it fine but i i don't think that this is the right thing for always right now that is my kind of feeling on this. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think, I think one of the reasons I do this is because I don't want to travel with a laptop if I can help. But one of one of the reasons I do this is also to explore the current state of the art and just remind myself of all the places where iOS, mm-hmm. as everybody who who has been using an iPad Pro since they were announced has said, where iOS fails us. 
And this is a this is a great example of that, where in so many ways, iOS is just not capable of doing all these things that we in our particular niche have come to rely on. And I'm sure other people in other niches can say similar things and other people in still other niches can say completely different things like, oh, no, it, I've, it's all resolved now. But on the podcasting side, it's not resolved because of the way iOS handles sound and um, access to the microphone and access to recording via an app and all of those things. And as a result, you're left with this kind of uh, weird workaround kind of scenario. But that said, like Federico, I, I had that feeling of like, can I get away with not bringing a Mac? Because I'd like to if I'd like to not bring that laptop if there's another way with existing stuff. I didn't want to spend money on uh, on a new approach with lots of boxes, but the net result was that my bags were lighter because I did this than they would have been if I had brought my MacBook Air and its mm-hmm. and its power adapter. But you're right, you lose some of your backup. I would say actually one of my big fears was uh, we record these podcasts and um, especially with guests who are not as uh, as established as we are, uh, people who don't have all the stuff, sometimes their recordings fail. Sometimes they record the wrong microphone or they press the wrong button. And that's the part that like, if I, if I knew I was doing a podcast with somebody who didn't own right. Skype call recorder on the Mac and was using no that. recording of Skype. Do you? I, exactly. Now there are, uh, I talked to somebody who said that there are some ways to work around that, but I think that, I think that basically, um, that is part of the risk you take when you do this is that is that you need you're relying on someone else so i like for download i relied on steven who i knew was using call recorder to provide me with a call recorder file that mm-hmm. i could use uh, to sync everything up um because i couldn't provide that myself so there's a lot there's a lot that you give up to do this the only advantage is that i didn't have to bring my laptop with me and i got to write an article about it so you know that was good but it's not it's not good enough for regular use. That's the truth of it. And I think that goes back to the core issue here, which is that uh, there's stuff that, that as much as uh, we like iPads and we like iOS, there's stuff that iOS, um, especially on the software side, just is not capable of doing right now. And I hope that Apple addresses some of these issues. So like looking at the software, there are options available that you can just take a USB microphone, plug it into your iPad, and go. You know, apps like Anchor and Zoom and Ringer. Um, these are applications that, provide calling interfaces and we'll do recordings for you um do what experience do you have with these i know you've played around with some of them yeah um there are challenges like anchor does a thing where they they have in their um podcast recording app they have a a a guest mode where you can bring people in but they have to be on ios devices Mm -hmm. um you can't be i don't know i don't know if they do android but you can't be on like a a mac or a pc because you need the app Mm-hmm. So that's no good. Um, Zoom is a tool that I use for some podcasts, especially on the Incomparable these days. It's a it's a business teleconference app, but it it has some features like it will record, um, it will do cloud recordings of people, and it will let you actually record multiple um, people on different tracks, which is also really good. Um, everybody has to have Zoom. They that's available on all platforms. And if I if I absolutely had to only travel with an iPad and do a whole bunch of podcasts with a lot of people like I do with the incomparable, I would probably do it all through Zoom. Um, and then the uh, another option is Ringer, which is another for pay uh, teleconferencing service. And they have a uh, they have a tier that's not cheap, but they have a tier where um, you can connect to people on um on computers or on iOS devices or Android devices, I think. And it will record 
your voice and it will record all the other people and you can get those files afterward and edit them. So there are some, but they're limited and some of them are limited by platform and some of them are um, limited in terms of their functionality. And, you know, and I, I pay for Zoom, so I don't actually mind that. But like um, some of them record locally, some of them don't. They just have a cloud recording, so it doesn't sound, it's not as good quality, but it's better than nothing. So I don't know. I feel like uh, the challenge here is that it's asking everybody to get yet another app and you have to standardize and everybody has to get download that app or go to that web website. And that just makes it more complicated, but it's possible it's getting closer, but this is the catch is that basically you have to count on somebody's app who has anticipated all of your needs. You can't connect a few apps together like we do on the Mac and say, well, I'm using Audio Hijack and I'm using Skype and I'm using Call Recorder and now I've got everything and I'm, you know, I've, I've built a whole system up and iOS just kind of doesn't let you do that. Yep. And that's it. That's the key part. That's what I'm waiting for for this is like, I want to be able to on iOS root my audio to multiple apps and have it record. That's what I want. And I know the, about Audio Boss. I know that this is thing called Audio Bus, which in theory lets you do this on iOS, but nobody uses it. No, app, no yeah. VoIP apps are using it. Barely any recording apps other than GarageBand are using it. Like it seems to be a musician's tool. Um, yeah, it's not being. Yeah, we hear we like hear this. about it every time, and and it's one of those things where it's like, well, theoretically, this could happen. It's like, well, that's great, but um, the problem is that the these it's not being supported by the apps that need it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're not going to support it. And the way you need to do this is you need to have a system-wide thing that lets an app like Audio Hijack say, I want to grab the audio and let it. Instead of saying the the author of every single app has to opt in and support this very specific thing in order to do this. It's just, it's not realistic. So, um, you know, there there's definitely always a will actually uh, involving audio bus that is like, it's just, it's right there, but it's like, yeah, but it's not practical and, and it's not being used in, in any of the apps that we would choose. And so, um, that's why I think Apple needs to, to, uh, you know, let more than one app can, uh, look at the microphone at once, for example, mm-hmm. as just one simple example, and maybe look at the overall system audio uh, as well. And if I could have an app that could record my microphone and on one f- side of a stereo file and everybody else on the other side, while I was using some other app, um, this problem would be solved, actually. Um, I want to mention there are some great tools that let you record podcasts in browsers. Um, Zencaster and Cast. I use Cast every week. Uh, the problem is that they require Chrome on the desktop and they don't work on mobile on uh, iOS because iOS has Safari. And Apple has made changes to the web RTC, real-time communication standard, over the last couple of years. Um, but according to the developers of these apps, it's still not enough for them to support Safari. So I was hoping that that might be a solution, is to use one of these web apps, because they will record locally and then send your file up over the internet. And uh, it's very clever, because I can, with non-technical people, I can just say, go to this URL in Chrome, and we'll do a podcast. And I get a file from them, and they didn't have to do anything except go to a URL. Great. But it doesn't work on iOS, so because it doesn't work in Safari. So that's not an option either. Oh, well. Oh, well. Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom. Big fans of Pingdom over here at Relay FM because they help keep your sites and the sites you love online. Pingdom monitor your website so you don't have to. And you give you real-time feedback as well so you know exactly what's going on at all times. And we use them at Relay FM to make sure that everything's running hunky-dory. The internet is an amazing thing, but it breaks all the time. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month, and that is more than 400,000 every day. 
It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need alerts about any critical website issues. Pingdom will let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of the outage. Plus, they'll track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have any site of any size, you need Pingdom. They offer a no-fuss approach to get started. All they need is the URL that you want to monitor, and they'll take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout, and you'll get a wonderful 30% off your first invoice. That is pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial, and the code UPGRADE at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM, and we move into hashtag... Ask Upgrade now. And Jason, there is a theme to the majority of today's Ask Upgrade questions. Let's see if it plays out, if you can see what the theme is as we move through. Okay, okay. First question comes from Ben. What do you think of including iMessage for Android or Windows as a part of Apple's subscription service options in the future? Uh, I think it's possible. I think it's not, you know, it's, it's more engineering that they have to do. I think that it's more likely that they might build something. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think they could because it would be cert- you're part of our ecosystem in terms of services. And if you've got an Android device, you can get your stuff on there. But is that a priority for them? Do they th- really think that that's going to move the needle in terms of services revenue? Or is it just going to be kind of an afterthought for people who happen to have an Android device while also paying? Are, are Android users going to line up to pay for some Apple service just to get a blue bubble? And how many? Um, so I'm skeptical about that, but it's not impossible. I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it would be like, I don't even know if it's necessarily something that like you would pay for just, but would be a reason for people that don't use Apple devices to sign up for a potential uh, content bundle, right? Like pay for apple tv and we have this apple tv for android let's imagine and apple music for android and you also get iMessage too um could be could be good it could also you know it's a platform thing i i figure iMessage for other platforms feels like a kind of if like a emergency release valve or something right like a break glass in case of emergency type situation for getting more revenue like you just it's like oh what else can we throw at the pile well, we could also do this. That's kind yeah. of how I look at that. Yeah, but you, you have to... The problem is that you have to build it. Like, you have to get a team to build I know. iMessage mm-hmm. for another Which is platform. not going to be easy, right? Like, of course, it's not going to be easy. Um, but I, I, that that's, you know, we'll see. I, I'm, I think it could happen. I think maybe at a certain point, Apple might just do it, especially when you look at some of the stuff that Facebook's now talking about that they're going to do right that facebook's going to make this uh, end-to-end encrypted chat platform right and i can kind of imagine i was listening to the verge cast this week and i think dita bone brought this up that like maybe at some point apple just do it to kind of like stick a thumb out at facebook and just be like well here is the truly end-to-end encrypted model right like as, as a kind of like a privacy thing maybe um, and I could potentially see that yeah. as an option, just as like a kind Maybe. of a way to stick a fork in the ground or whatever. Sure. I'm making a lot of really weird broken yeah, metaphors I don't, here. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But you kind of yeah, get what I'm saying, right? I, I think I think the challenge is a real cost analysis of how much is it going to cost for us to build and maintain a secure app on other platforms for this stuff, and do we really want to do that? You know, is that going to get us subscribers and subscription revenue that is material? But mm-hmm. um, I think it's I think it's possible. Like they could sell it as, you know, you get all this this great Apple suite of features all on Android too. They could. They could do that. I just, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a, I'm a little skeptical of it, but they could certainly do it if they, if they did the, the, the calculations and decided it was a good idea. Chris asks, with Apple's move towards services, do you think Apple will put stuff like news, TV, music, and books in the browser, or will they remain locked into apps? I think this is a great question. I feel like this is more, um, likely than building Android or Windows apps, right? Like we've already seen on Windows with iCloud that what they've done is said, oh, if you're on a device that is not your usual device and might not even be a Mac, um, we have a web interface for you. And then they build a web interface and everybody can use the web interface. So if you are on Android or Windows or whatever, we don't care. There's a website or on somebody else's Mac (laughs) and you need to log in and and check something, you can do that and that's fine. I think that's a more likely scenario. Will it, you know, will they? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Um, I would hope they would actually. I think this would be a good one for them to do because it, it is the release valve, right? Which is if you have no other way to do this, you can just log in on our website and read that news or watch that TV show or play that music. Arthur asks, Apple Music or Spotify? I now have Apple Music included with Verizon, so I'm deciding whether to cancel my Spotify and go all in on Apple Music. I think it depends on the features you're using, right? Because Spotify's selling point for a lot of people is the playlists that they make, right? So like Discover Weekly and stuff like that which are apparently very, very good. And and I hear a lot of people compare them to apples, and apples are getting better, but they're still not great. They're still not maybe as good as what Spotify's doing. If you use features like that, you may not be as happy. But if really all you're doing is listening to just the your, like a library of music that you're putting together, right? You listen to your favorite artists or albums. I don't see why you wouldn't, go for Apple Music if it's now free for you, basically, because they all have the same library. Like, all these services have the same library. It's just the bits on top. Like, for example, if you're also using some of, like, Spotify's features for controlling music on other devices using the Spotify app, well, you're not going to get that on, on iOS. Apple Music doesn't do this as well, right? Like, if you're using you're like sending it out to echoes and to to sonos devices like whilst apple's getting better with airplay 2 sonos's stuff is a little bit lower locked down there yeah although you can just use the sonos app and you have access to apple music um that way yeah and you can still play that stuff on sonos devices so i don't know mike i can't get if if i get apple music for free and i have to pay for spotify i'm going to use apple music because why would I pay for Spotify then? Well, I 100% agree. I use Apple Music. Like, I pay for Apple Music. But Apple Music's just more integrated with iOS. I don't use Spotify's features and I have HomePods, so Apple Music for me, right? Like, I, I really think it just comes down to the fact that if you're using Spotify like features that are specific to Spotify that are outside of just the songs and stuff you're playing, 
then maybe you're best off sticking with Spotify, even if it is free for you. But if all you're doing is just listening to a library of music you've compiled, I don't think it really matters where you go. Um, Ecclesiast asks, what are the pros and cons of Apple releasing Apple Podcasts for Android? I don't think it's maybe as much of a lock-in as iOS for iMessage. Can you imagine Apple making an Android Apple Podcast app or why they would even? I I can kind of imagine it, but it would require them to um, view podcasts super strategically for them. And, and they, they have shown no signs yet of doing that. Where like where they, they say, no, actually, we want to take advantage of, we want to leverage our power in the podcast world to make money. Like if they were to announce, and we've seen no rumors of this at all, but if they were to announce that they're going to do what Spotify is doing and create a whole bunch of like exclusive podcasts that are only on Apple and they're only for like Apple music subscribers or Apple whatever services that are forthcoming subscribers to do that. And that their delivery mechanism for that was going to be that they're going to make a great podcast app on Android and give it away. And it's, and, and they're going to use their, their strength as a podcast provider to feed people into their services. Then I could see it, but they've shown no, interest in that so far um i think it would be popular believe it or not if it was good because um the the podcast app market on android is really fractured and google's taken a couple swings at it but even their current podcast app which is kind of like a fake sub app of the google app is not great um there are not to say there aren't good android podcast apps there are podcast uh, pocket cast is on android and it's great but um I think that Apple might have an opportunity there if they if they were going to make something of it. But I'm not sure we have seen any evidence that Apple is interested in being anything but passive when mm-hmm. it comes to podcasting. Yeah, I think the Apple podcast could be successful on other platforms because of the marketing weight that Apple have with podcasters. You know, yeah. like the mainstream podcasters, you hear it all the time. Get it on Apple podcasts. Like, you just say that because it's the biggest player. And if you have something more mainstream, your percentage of, of Apple podcast listeners is massive, right? Like for, for like mainstream shows, not shows like ours, mainstream shows, it is huge, right? It's a big, big, big part of the pie. So it seems like just over time, like a lot of like the celebrity driven shows or the kind of like, you know, your uh, murder shows, they all just talk about like Apple, get it on Apple podcasts because that's kind of just like the the place for it. And so then if you're not on iOS, you hear get it on Apple podcasts. And if you don't know, you're like, well, I can't get it then. Right. Yeah. So I think that could be an interesting way to play it because they are so strong with uh, the marketing messages and asking, I think, a lot of these people to use the marketing messages and stuff like that. So I think that it works for that reason. Um, and it could be interesting. It would, I think it'd be kind of cool if they did do that, to be honest, but we'll see. Google Podcast doesn't seem that great. I've used it a bit. It does not seem that great. So no, uh, not yet. Anyway, they they seem to be talking a big game. Um, but I'm I don't know if the result has been that great so far. All right, so that I think wraps up this week's episode of Upgrade. Thank you so much to Pingdom and Luna Display and ExpressVPN for their support of this show. Uh, you can find out more about this episode by going to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 236, but all the show notes should be in your podcast player of choice. 
we hope. But if they're not, you can go and find them there. Jason is online at theincomparable.com and sixcolors.com. He is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on social media platforms like uh, Twitter and Instagram. And I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. You can follow me uh, in many places. You just Whatever social network you use, just type that in. And if something pops up, just follow it. It's fine. It's not going to be a problem. You'll find. I'm sure something interesting will be there, even if it's not me. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back next time, maybe with a draft. If there is an Apple event announced between now and then, there will be a draft on the next episode. Fingers crossed, everyone. We'll see. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. <laughs>